bonding time as we prepare for the first month in 2018. What is that again? Manuary, exactly, because we're going to be focused on converting men for the Lord. But the second Wednesday will be December 13th. And on that day, we're going to have a church potluck Christmas party. Everybody together uh, will be here. We'll have flyers, invitations for you next week. Uh, but I just wanted to tell you that ahead of time to get it on your calendar. Uh, December 13th, we will have a congregational potluck Christmas celebration time together. Amen? Also, speaking of announcements, I just like to keep talking about things because I don't want you to forget all the good things that are going to happen. Now, 2018 in July, 20th through the 22nd, you guys remember what we're having? Okay, even if you don't, we're going to Rhode Island for the conference we're going to have next year. So put that on your calendars. Think about it. Uh, Rhode Island Conference for the whole, the Northeast New York Church, Boston Church. We're going to all be together uh, July 20th through the 22nd of 2018. And you remember when we had our congregational service and Sam preached a great lesson, and he told us back then we have 77 more days before the end of the year. Well, now, after the day, you got 42 more days. 42 days. So in those days, again, don't miss church. Don't forget your contribution. Make sure you're meeting in your groups. A lot of family time, especially on these holidays. This is a great family building time. But we got 42 more days. Don't miss a quiet time in the next 42 days. Let's end this year in a powerful way. Let's not forget what we've been charged to. So when he gave the challenge, you may say, well, I missed one. So I may not make all 77, so I'm just going to quit. No, you're not going to quit. You're going to start over and start now. So now we've got 42 more days to make this happen. Amen? And again, uh, just to clarify one announcement, uh, the youth and family is having a fundraising. So the food that's there is not just for us just to go eat. It's for us to purchase for the fundraising. So I know when that was announced, it was like, there's going to be food for you guys. There is, if you are willing to participate by paying for it. And then two more announcements. Whew, I'm getting tired. I need some water already. First of all, I like to give you everything way ahead of time. There's an international singles conference. 2018 is going to be August 31st to September 2nd. So now I'm telling you way ahead of time. August 31st to September 2nd. International single conference. I mean, they're coming from all over the world together to be a part of this. So registration will be coming up online in the next few weeks. Just want to make... Oh, it's already there. So by y'all shaking your head, y'all already signed up. Oh, see, it went from great. The kind, oh, look at you. Even the water they give in his name, you'll be blessed. Hold on for a minute. Thank you, sir. All right, and then lastly, uh, the Evergreen Ministry is going to have a little bingo participation going on in the library afterwards. So if you are a part of the, uh, the Evergreen Ministry, uh, the mature, mature, mature people in the church, uh, you can participate in some bingo over there. And uh, let's make it a... Now, I know how bingo can get rowdy sometimes. So it needs to be a nice, peaceful game. Don't be lying, Mr. Ernie. If you don't have bingo, you can't get bingo. Just be honest about it. All right, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Last week, we talked about closer, being closer. And that is the, the, the overall whole Bible... Talking about God wanting to be closer to every single one of us. It started in the Garden of Eden, 
And this is where he began that close relationship. He had Adam and Eve as a closer. They walked together. They talked together. It was an incredible relationship they had with God in the Garden of Eden. And I want to read to us here and start in verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit on the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. Mm. You hear that? All the women said, mmm. <laughs> Brothers kept quiet. Y'all know what to do. Y'all just kept quiet. All the ladies said, mmm. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Amazing story. David Shepherd was a bio, bio, biology professor at Southern Louisiana University. He conducted an experiment where he put rubber reptiles, snakes, and turtles on the road and watched over 20,000 motorists come by. He put snakes, he put turtles in places that they would normally run over them or they would have to go out their way to run over them. Conclusion of the story is that apparently very few animals are accidentally hit and killed on the roads. What he saw is that people sometimes purposely went out of their way to run over such animals. There was one lady who drove over a snake, made a U-turn, backed over it again, Turned back around, ran it over, and went back on her way. You know, <laughs> I'm just telling you what the results were. Snakes are not generally liked creatures. Both men and women have a healthy fear of snakes. But research concluded that women are twice as fearful of snakes as men. Now, that just tells me that women are twice as smart as men. But I figured I'd get an amen from somebody on that one. But let's look back at Genesis 3, verse 15, what he says here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Now, even in other versions, it talks about offspring and the seed being the same thing. But God said, I'm going to put enmity between your offspring and hers. 
Now, here's the thing. Enmity means a hatred. It means a, a, a violent hatred. It's not a fear. It's not like God's just going to make women scared of snakes. <laughs> it's a hatred that you would have for an enemy or, or somebody you just really disdain. Now, the serpent was the enemy of God. So God had in mind to destroy the serpent with the woman's offspring. Well, what does that really mean? Well, when you look at this, here's Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship with God in the garden. When they bit from the fruit, all of a sudden their relationship was no longer close like it was before. There was a distance between them. They no longer had that relationship. They were now cursed. They were not able to have what they once did with God. So when Eve heard him say, your offspring will crush the serpent. In her mind, I'm pretty sure she thought, well, once I have kids, this is going to be my ticket back into this relationship with God. Because honestly, it was just, she was the only woman on earth. So she's thinking, my offspring will do this. And so look at chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, here's the thing. She had Cain, and she thought, oh, thank you, God. You've helped me bring forth a man. This is the prophecy you were talking about. Now my offspring will crush Satan, and I will come back into the garden. We will have this perfect relationship once again. And so then she had Abel. Now, Abel's name literally means emptiness or vanity. Because she was thinking, I have Cain, I really don't need Abel, because Cain is my way back, my ticket back into the garden. I'm glad I got Abel, but, you know, it is what it is. And so you look at this, you're thinking, man, what in the world is going on? But she was wrong, because Cain was not her ticket back into the garden. Cain was her heartache, because we know that he killed his brother Abel, and thus he himself was cursed. So what does this mean when it said well, the offspring of woman would bruise the serpent's head, would crush the serpent. If you look at this again in verse 15, when it talks about the offspring of woman, this is an amazing thing because this is the only time in the Bible where it talks about the offspring of woman. All the other times, the seed of man is what's being said. When you look at it, the nation of Israel was either called the seed of Abraham or the seed of Jacob. Those serving in the temple was called the seed of Aaron. Even talking about God was going to punish the seed of David down the line. Everything is focused on the seed of man, the offspring of man. But this one time, he says the offspring of woman will be the one that will crush Satan. It's as if there would be a man born with no earthly father. It's just going to be a woman that's going to be the sole purpose behind this. So who could that be? None other than Jesus Christ. The one born without an earthly father is who he's talking about. So if the seed of woman, Jesus, is here to crush the serpent, which we know is Satan. Satan was also going to bruise the offspring of woman. Strike his heel. Look at what it says in Isaiah 53. Turn there with me. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was God's will for Jesus to be crushed. Look at what it says in verse 5, Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, 
Satan is a major player in the crucifixion of Jesus, in the passion of Christ. He was the primary focus of why Jesus came. In 1 John chapter 3, turn there with me, 1 John chapter 3. This is one of the major reasons Jesus even came to earth. 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 tells us this. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man, the Son of God, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to defeat Satan. But then that got me thinking. What exactly did Satan do to make him the focus? Did God create him just to have somebody to pick on? Did God create him just so it could be a good and an evil? What was it? We look over in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah gives us a good illustration here. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah tells us this in verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. What was it? Lucifer, Satan, the devil. His objective was to take over. He wanted to overthrow God. And thus there was a war. Again, look in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, verse 7. A war began and even Satan enlisted his own angels. In verse 7 it says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He, had, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. The Bible tells us that Satan and his angels went to war. They could not win. They were overthrown. They were cast down to earth. So that was the objective. But how was Satan going to accomplish this? How did he think he could overthrow God of all things? Well, again, that's where Genesis 3 comes into play. See, if you didn't know better, you would think that uh, Satan's encounter with Eve was just a coincidence. Like he was just strolling through the garden and boom, there she was. They just started conversation. Actually, no, that was a part of his plan all along. See, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything, the world, everything in it. Uh, he created all his power, all his might went into the creation of the world. And then in chapter Genesis 1, 28, turn there with me. Genesis 1, 28, after God had created everything, the earth, the birds, the land, the sea. He created all. Then in verse 28 it says, Then God said, Let us make man and... Uh, that's the wrong place. No, no, no. That's it. Genesis 1, 28, 26. I'm sorry. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, and created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. What happened here is that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over everything. Rule over it. 
Multiply. Be fruitful. At this point, Satan realized, okay, in order for me to overthrow God, I must overthrow what he created. If Adam and Eve is his glory, his crown, if the earth is his glory, his crown, once I take that over, that is a stepping stone for me to get back and to take over from God. Satan actually, part of his plan did work because Satan did take ownership of this world. Let me show you several scriptures to talk about it. John 12, verse 31. Now I'm going to go through these. You can write them down. We'll put them on the screen. But John 12, 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The Bible calls Satan the prince of this world. Ephesians 2, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Well, in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now in work at work in those who are disobedient. So he calls the prince of this world. Now he's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And then look at what it says in 1 John 5, 19. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. See, when Adam and Eve took and ate the fruit in the garden, they effectively turned over their lease to the world to Satan. Satan took over ownership of the world, took over ownership of man away from God. Because at that point, when they bit the fruit, now they no longer had eternal life. Now there comes a point that they would eventually die themselves. And that's why the Bible speaks so often of, of us being redeemed. You're redeemed because you're owned by somebody else. We, every one of us, was owned by Satan. Thus God had to redeem us. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that as was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you are redeemed from the empty weight of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We needed to be redeemed because we were owned by Satan. Look in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. And again, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that, you are the, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It says we were bought at the price. The price was Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the whole world was now owned by Satan. See, let me ask you this. Who owns you? Let's just be honest here for a minute. Maybe you're visiting for the first time, second time, or third time. Whatever it may be. You've got to ask yourself, who is your owner? If you are not a baptized disciple of Jesus, the way the Bible says, not the way some man made up, but according to the Bible, then you are, you're not owned by God. Because this is how you're bought at a price, through the Bible, through the blood of Jesus. But don't get confused, because just because you become a disciple, you can still give your lease up as well, and now be owned once again by Satan as well. 
Because just because you have that document doesn't mean that's how you live in it. And Satan's objective was to bring God down from his throne and lift himself up above God. And that's why when Jesus was led into the wilderness being tempted by Satan, this is why he tried to make a deal with him. Look over in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Here he is, Jesus, the Son of God. Satan is tempting him. And he says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Satan said, just give me what I want. Make me God. Worship me. Place me on the throne. And then I'll give you back some of what I've taken. Now we know, of course, Satan had no intention of giving nothing back. But you've got to ask, well, how does Satan have a hold on us? Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Satan said, you know what? I hold the card of death. So this is how I strike fear in man. I will scare you because I am able to kill you. And that's the message he plays in our minds over and over and over again. And it tells us because of Adam, sin came into the world. Because of this one man. And it tells us also in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. But he also says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too share in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives have been held in slavery... Because of their fear of death. The Bible tells us that the focus of Jesus on the cross was to defeat Satan, defeat the power of death. He became just like us so he could understand our temptations and fears. But he overcame Satan's trump card of death by dying on the cross. Now, Satan knew this prophecy. And he knew that the woman's offspring, not born of man... But the seed of woman would be his downfall. So Satan thought, well, if I can get rid of Jesus before he gets rid of me, I could still take over everything. So how was he going to do that? So this is how Satan tried to manipulate Jesus. And I'm telling this because this is the same way he tries to manipulate you and me. First thing he does, he, is, he uses deception. 2 Corinthians 11:14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He uses deception. You know, Satan doesn't want you to fall away. Satan wants you to be a complacent Christian. He wants you to doubt. He wants you to be full of fear. In the flock, there's a wolf. You look and you see that one, but do you see the second one behind him as well? It's hard to see Satan sometimes in the flock. But all he wants to do is to get in there. See, they're not even eating all the sheep. They just want to stay in there a little bit. Because if they can just stay in there long enough, everybody will start to blend in with them and think it's all okay and think they're, they're calm. And then when they lay down, it's all over with. See, that's what Satan wants to do. He doesn't want you to leave. He wants you to be a complacent, non-giving, non-happy, non-joyful Christian. So then it will spread through the whole batch of dough. you got to ask yourself. We know what the scripture says, bad company corrupts good character. You say, well, that's for everybody in the world. Hold on. There could be people in the flock that don't have that joyful character. 
I told you, not everybody is in the kingdom. They may have their own kingdom they're living in of anger and bitterness and hatred and discord and jealousy and manipulation. See, Satan is trying to be, use deception on you. And what he'll do is, you know, he'll make you good friends with somebody. And because you're such good friends, you won't challenge each other on the sin that's in your life. Such a good friend. You're my pal. You're in the flock with me. So you know what? I want to make sure our friendship stays intact. Even though I see it, I'm going to act like I don't see it. Those sheep that see the wolf but act like they don't, how long are they going to last? That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to use deception. The second thing about Satan is that he's a liar. Satan wants to use lie after lie after lie. John 8, verse 44, says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let me ask you, are you falling for the lies of Satan? Really? I mean, seriously, if Satan's going to get you, he needs to climb over a whole bunch of scriptures before he can get to you. Are you living off the promises of the scripture or are you believing the lies of Satan? I'm going to never get married. Somebody might as well give me a man outside the kingdom. These brothers ain't no good. The same ones Jesus died for, these brothers ain't no good. Oh, these sisters so selfish and picky, they're going to be alone all their life. That's why I don't take them out. They're ungrateful little things. Oh, then you get married. And then it's just arguing and fighting and, and going on instead of being grateful for the person God gave you. Or then it's like, oh, I'm going to give a $5 contribution, but then I'm going to go out and buy me a $120 pair of shoes. Oh, I, 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 can't, I can't go to Rhode Island because we're all going to Hawaii this year. So I can't, you know, I, I got to make a decision. Hawaii, Rhode Island. You got to ask yourself, are you believing the lies of Satan? Here's one for you. I'm never going to convert nobody. That's a lie from Satan. I'm never going to convert nobody, so why share my faith? Or if they become a Christian, they're going to move away like Buddy Orange did, and I just don't know what's going to happen to me. We start to believe those lies. Everybody I get close to leaves, so why get close anymore? So then you become your own little island. you got to understand, that's Satan setting you up for destruction. He used deception. He used lies. He's also the, the tempter. He uses temptation. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors might be in vain. Honestly, some of y'all have been around so long and you've worked so hard to stay faithful. Why do something stupid now? You've been fighting 15, 20 years. Why would you give in to something you know is not right, that you just feel weird about? Why give in after so long staying faithful? There should not be a temptation that can suck you away from the Lord. But you give in. You know what else Satan is? He is the accuser. Revelation 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of the Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. Satan is the accuser. And you know one of the things he uses to accuse you? To make you think you're not good enough. Make you think you can't handle it. Make you think all this is going on. I don't know where I'm going to get. If I'm going to keep my job, I don't know what's going on with my kids. My marriage is in disarray. My, my, I can't even find my Metro card. I don't know what's going on. 
So he just makes you think you just are worthless. But God has said, I let my son die for you. You're worth more than gold, than diamonds, than anything. But Satan will accuse you. And then when you do have some sin, he's going to play that sinful tape over and over and over. And every time you go to have fun, he's going to make you have play that tape. And then you're just not going to want to even come to church. I don't even want to see anybody today. I don't really feel like coming. I know I should, but I just don't feel like it's going to be a good day. Throughout the Gospels, we see Satan using deceptions, lies, temptations, false accusations against Jesus. But none of it worked. So ultimately, he said, let me fall back on my trump card, death. So again, Satan figured if I could kill him, if I can kill Jesus, he's home free. So what's the worst way I could kill Jesus? Let me make sure he gets flogged, beaten, and crucified. And see, here's the thing. Satan thought the cross was his idea. God had that plan all along, but Satan thought this is a great way to get him. But Satan was wrong. Because Jesus knew it was going to occur. Look in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. He kept warning his disciples time and time again. He says in Luke 9, 22, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He knew what was coming his way. And you think about it. Even as a young boy, from the time he could read the scrolls, he knew in the scriptures in the Old Testament that he was going to die on the cross. So as a young kid, all the way up to his 33rd year, every time he saw somebody on the cross, he thought, that's going to be me one day. That's going to be me one day. You know how many people would have just gave in the towel and said, no, 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 take me back up to heaven. He said, that's going to be me. And then he looked around and said, but you're all worth it. So I'm going to keep on going. Look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to wrap it up here. I know some of y'all are ready to go, but okay, that's what I wanted to hear now. Okay, let's go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Now, only way we're saved is through the blood of Jesus. But there's going to be people that tell you, you can get into heaven by just being a good person. If you just believe in your heart, you just believe in your heart, and you and God, are, you're going to make it. You know what? I eat a lot of Chinese food, but I just can't believe I'm Chinese. You can believe a whole lot of stuff all you want and be sincere about it, but that doesn't make it true. But you know what? Hell was never designed for God's children. Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew 25, verse 41. Let me show you what Jesus said here as we close out for real. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not meant for God's sons and daughters. Hell was meant for the devil and for his angels. The people who end up in hell belong to Satan. So no matter how many good works you may do, it will not change who owns you. So let me go back to the original question. See, by default, we're all owned by Satan. By default. But because of Jesus, we're able to be set free. In the end, you will always end up going to where your owner lives. If your owner is God in heaven, that's where you're going to end up going. If your owner is not God, but is Satan, that's where you're going to end up going. So ask yourself as you're here today, even if you're not sure you're a Christian, I, I'm not sure, maybe I am, or I'm kind of religious, or I, I believed in the Bible, or I was baptized when I was 13, but didn't even know what I was doing. Don't play with your salvation. 
you need to make sure God is your owner. I want to encourage you to study the Bible with somebody. I know there's a lot of us here. I still don't know half this congregation. So people that I see, I don't know. Hey, I don't remember your name. Who are you? You know, you need to do the same thing. There's a lot of people you don't know here. But if we just think somebody else is going to reach out, we're going to miss the boat. We all need to make sure this family, you know, if somebody was in your house and they just walked in there and sat down, you went to the table like, who are you? You'd ask them who they were. They couldn't just sit in your house. So now we're here at home and you see somebody, you're not sure. Who are you? Ask them who they are. Get to know them. Why? Not just for your benefit, but you want to make sure they're owned by the same father you have. If you're not sure, you need to ask somebody, hey, can we study the Bible? I've been coming a couple of weeks. I, I like this stuff, but I'm not sure what he's talking about fully. Study the Bible. Guys, it's up to us to make sure we're doing what we need to do. Because you attend church doesn't guarantee your Father in Heaven is your owner. It's how you live your life. So I want to challenge you today, as you walk out these doors, you can laugh and joke. You can stay here until about 2.45 if you want. But when you walk out those exit doors, before you leave, you need to ask yourself, who is my owner? Who am I owned by? And I know we all want to say God, but you got to look at your life and say, who does my life reflect is my owner? That is the answer to your question. I love you. I'm grateful to be here. To God be the glory. Let's have an awesome week. Amen.